I think I'm going to end up looking like a total nerd here. Absolutely. That's the aim. Great. Hello, I'm Michael Alcock, and welcome to my podcast series, Primary Chats. For you, primary teaching students, where I get to talk to people who, like me, are excited about primary education and keen, or at least willing, to talk to me. My guest today is another doctor, Matt Smith has spent his entire adult life working within education and held many roles within school. But now, he's often found researching educational issues across Europe and even the world. Today's chat will be all about small-scale educational research. Hi Matt, thanks for joining me this morning. You're very welcome, I'm glad to be here. Great. Um, Today we're going to talk about small-scale research. But before we get on to that, for those people that have ever stepped foot into your office, they'll know that you're a massive Star Wars fan. So before we talk about small-scale research, it's going to be quiz time. Is that okay? Ah. Question question one. What are midi-chlorians? The interface between the force and its user. It's a good start, Matt. You've made a very strong start with that description. I think I'm going to end up looking like a total nerd here. Absolutely. That's the aim. Great. Question two of, of three. Someone who can use telekinesis can do what? Move things with the power of their mind. You know what? When I made these questions, I thought, are these too hard? Clearly they're not. Well, that's got nothing to do with the force. That's just, that's what it means in English. Well, even better. You've gone one step beyond me already. The final question, I hope this one is the big challenge question. If someone was to be going rimward, where would they be going? Presumably from the core systems, like Coruscant, out towards the outer rim planets around the edge of the galaxy before they reach the unexplored regions of dark space. Three out of three, Dr. Smith. Fantastic. Get in. <laughs> everyone, everyone listening is now going to lose it. That's the, that's the important part of this uh, conversation done, really. Everything else is just incidental. Superb. <laughs> okay, so I, I meet with a lot of student teachers to talk about small-scale research, and something that often comes up is the fact that they're different from assignments. There's no given title um, where you can just write your essay. It's something that's completely different. So what would your top tips be to someone who is very much at the starting point of a small scale research project? I think before they start anything, they need to engage with the question of why am I bothering to do this? Um, And I think research is vital for teachers at any stage of their career just you know if you're in a classroom and you don't understand why a child's doing something or you have a you're presented with a new situation you have a child with a condition you've never come across before or they are reacting to ways to things in ways that you've never encountered before you can't just deal with it you can't just 
ignore it. You have to try and find out what's going on, and and, and because what, you know, whatever child's in front of you is your responsibility. It's your privilege to have those children in the classroom, and it's your responsibility to ensure that you don't waste that time. So research, I think, is vital in terms of action research and finding out about the people around you and the children you're working with, but also big R research about what is out there in the in the world and what's our part in it is also vital, I think. So it, it, it is really relevant to all teachers to find out, not just to do what they're told and to accept what's given to them. You must deliver this curriculum. You must do this. You must follow this approach. But to find out why they should be doing it and to actually look at the, the theory behind it to see if they agree. Um, so that's my first top tip is to stop and think about what am I doing and why am I doing it? Mm, absolutely. I think I think that resonates across the whole course, really, doesn't it? That w many teachers want a, a quick fix almost, a how-to, whereas understanding the reasons behind something and having a personal view maybe is a, a more powerful way of developing your own teaching and learning. I think so. If you know where you stand and what you're aiming to achieve, I think that's going to stand you in really good stead to be able to get there more quickly and more effectively. I mean, for example, if you are faced with an, a child who is really presenting you with big challenges in the classroom, you could always you could you could just think, oh, this child is, is a nightmare. Then I'm never going to be able to teach them. Or you could try and understand where they're coming from and, and research around how to um, work with and how to empathise with children with particular issues. And it's going to stand you in much better stead than just doing what anybody else tells you to do. And the same with, you know, I've already said, if you've got, you have to teach a certain thing, why do you? And also not just why, but how do I best teach it? Mm. And if you know that, if, if your understanding of teaching is somewhat similar to mine, it's not just about giving knowledge, uh, the, the, the banking model that Freire talked about and scorned in the 70s. It's not just about opening children's head and putting your view of the world inside it and sealing their head back up and sending them away, pretending they're taught. It's much more about opening up learning experiences for them where they will actually learn for themselves and learn with others in that socially constructive way that we bang on about so much in our courses. And if you as a teacher understand some of these key concepts and key theories, you'll be much more effective at doing what you do in the classroom. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think... I think that's a really important. I, I, I sort of presumed you'd point towards that, actually, when, when I sort of put this question together. But I will come back to the fact that some student teachers will want to know where, where to begin when they pick up their pen for the first time and begin planning their research. What are some must-do must things? I think the biggest one is pick an area you care about. So we ask our students... To, to really begin research in year two and then to do a formal research project in year three. And we, you know, we've already touched on the fact that it's vital throughout and, and you will be, as students, engaged in what we call desktop research and reading and literature from the moment you arrive in, at the university. You know, your, all of your assignments will have elements of looking at theory, looking at practical ideas and looking at other people's research and trying to combine all that into the answer that you give for your assignment. But in terms of what you then go on to study in year two and into year three, where you do your 6,000 word dissertation, you must pick something that you care about. So 
if you, I mean, lots of people have, have done things that, that have real resonance for them. I remember a girl who had, had been a looked after child and that's what she wanted to research for obvious reasons. Other people who were really interested in uh, obesity in the classroom because they encountered that in a big way in, in a certain area um, in, in one of their school placements or dyslexia or things that you things that you would find for real in, in the authentic situations you find yourself in in the classrooms and trying to research around that to understand the background and the ways forward for how you approach that, how you deal with it, how you help teach children who are dealing with whatever situation it is. So that's tip number one is get something that you care about. Mm, absolutely. And I think I think a lot of, you know, again, working on the module myself, a lot of students come with that passion, don't they, about a specific area. Yeah. Moving them on to that next stage, what comes next? How do I form a research title? What the heck are research questions? There's some key moments for me of, uh, of moving a, a student forward to the next step. What are your views around those areas? I think that's what's so wonderful, really, about the year three module, especially now it's a double credit um, module worth 40, 40 credits. It's um, you have more time to think, more time to read, less time being told things in lectures and much more time spent with your individual tutor in small group seminars and in, in individual tutorials. So you really get the opportunity to, to talk it through with and I think almost everybody now that teaches on that module or, or mentors students either has a master's, is doing a master's, is on the doctoral programme. So a lot of us have quite a bit of experience in this field and we can help guide students. But, yeah, it's about really kind of delving into that subject. So you've chosen um, the use of manipulatives in mathematics because when you were in a, a year two classroom, there was a child who was kind of significantly below the standard of everybody else and they were still using what is commonly seen in nursery. That's what you're interested in. Well, now, what about those manipulatives? Which area of manipulatives? Are you thinking about that particular child or are you thinking about boys or are you thinking about children with, I don't know, who are recently arrived to the country? You know, what is it? And then you can lay out a whole raft of questions and, and then start working out which ones you're most interested in. And if you can't do that, you've got six or eight questions, then it's about reading into that subject a bit and finding out what other people are saying because you will always, through wider reading, and through a developing sense of the actual subject and a developing expertise in that field, even if it's only a small one, because you're only scratching the surface, really, you begin to understand what is sort of lighting your your switches. Oh, which, which, which bit do I want to do? And and then you end up going, going down a route. And the same is absolutely true if you go further on to do your master's and even to your PhD. You'll end up doing little offshoots of research, which you find fascinating, but they all somehow, all those roads that curve off all curve back to your main point and back to your passion absolutely and you've you've just pointed towards a perfect link to my next question and that's all about you because what you've touched on there is offshoots from a main focus and i wonder if you could share with us what you've got out of being a researcher what you've discovered about yourself benefits it's given you as an individual from being involved in research I've discovered that I absolutely love it, I think is the, the truth. I did my master's before I came to the university. So I was doing that whilst I was a teacher. I, I did a, um, 
a master's in educational leadership and management because I thought I wanted to be a head teacher. Uh, and that was already proving beneficial, you know, thinking about how you manage and how you lead and what the difference between the two is. And then you end up going down things like dispersed leadership. You look at leadership styles, you look at and then you, you draw that parallels to yourself and how you're doing it. Because I was at the time a middle leader. And then I halfway through that um, MA, I took on a, an assistant headship role and I could begin to see how that all fitted together. And when I made the jump into higher education, um, I went on to begin my doctorate. And again, it, it led me down avenues of, and ways of thinking that I hadn't explored before. And it changed me as a teacher. It changed me as a person. And uh, you know, over the, the last decade, it, it, I've gone more and more down the research route. And through some of the projects I've been involved in, I'm now much more interested in mobile online digital technologies so a lot of what i've learned has stood me in very good stead right now for the you know the kind of the pandemic we've gone through and the lockdown situation so i've been able to transfer more easily than some uh, staff onto online teaching because i've done quite a lot about it but also I, i've been gifted uh, you know and allowed to, to work in fascinating areas in language research in palestine in um epidemiology in in brazil which is kind of crazy but that that's something that, that happened and i've been really enjoyed doing that but a, a lot of it is, is working online you know and the project we've just nearly completed is for the um, department for international development looking at how people across the globe have coped with the move and the shift to online uh, and off the back of that uh, a colleague and i are now uh, we've been approached to write and edit a book on that and so, again, it's, you know, it's taken me a, a long way in my career. But at every step, it's curved back to my my first passion, which is teaching. And all that I've learned has led to the way that I teach and the way that I act, uh, particularly online with this, uh, you know, the mobile and digital and the asynchronous nature of it. You know, so it's not just collaboration in the moment, like in a classroom. We now set up projects that you can do and support each other with online over a week before you have to come back so so much that i've learned has led to what is now in the modules i teach it's really interesting to hear the two key avenues there that stood out to me one that may be of real interest to the students listening is that research offers routes into alternative areas of education people who engage with research might find opportunities beyond their classrooms in years to come. And that might be of massive interest to some of our listeners. And then secondly, just the way that research enhances your own practice. I think they're the two key messages I heard from what you said there, Matt. Do you think that that's a fair representation? I think it is. And I think that second one is vital. You know, if you are, if you get to the end of your university course and that's it, you don't, you, you shut your books, you put them away, you teach for 30 years. How are you going to be impacting on the lives of children who aren't yet born? You know, when I was growing up, I couldn't have wished to be a mobile phone salesman or app developer because those things didn't exist. So the jobs that the children we teach are going to go in on and do don't exist yet. And they, the technology they're going to use hasn't been dreamt of yet, even in sci-fi. And so we have to keep learning ourselves as teachers in order to be able to cater for the students of tomorrow and of today. So in many ways, we're still playing catch up. Some of our students are far more gifted 
and just kind of have the innate ability to to use technology some of us are especially the older ones like some of us um are struggling sometimes to to keep up and i think that pushing yourself and researching into both technology and its uses and the pedagogy really crucially the 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 teaching ability that goes with that is vital and it should be uh, and must be ongoing for every teacher fascinating thank you matt i'd love to talk more about this um, and perhaps we'll have a future podcast where we can go into more detail but for now i want to say thank you so much for joining me thank you for having me and uh, i hope the listeners have found it really interesting i certainly did You've been listening to Primary Chats with Michael Alcock. My guest today has been Dr. Matt Smith, father, researcher and intrepid explorer.